0: The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel centered, missionally focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, here, yeah, I want you to uh, picture yourself uh, this morning as one of the, the very first disciples. Uh, it's the third day uh, after Jesus was crucified and you're together with the other disciples, maybe even possibly hiding from the, the Roman authorities, and, and all of a sudden, uh, Mary and Joanna and some of your other friends, they, they bust into the room, and they say, Jesus is alive. Like, he's risen from the grave. And your, your, your pals, uh, Peter and John, they don't believe, it. they're in disbelief, so they take off running to the gravesite, right? And then they come back and they say, it's true. He has risen. And now, you start to get a little bit excited. Um, you, you start to believe this, actually. And, and you're so excited, actually, that you, you go outside now. You want to tell other people about this. And so you go up to the of him by the collar of his tunic, man. You're so pumped up and so overwhelmed with emotion. It just comes out of you, this joy. And you shake him, and you're like, Jesus is alive. He's risen. And um, this... This poor fellow that you got a hold of, um, in our make-believe scenario, of course, he looks at you with a blank stare, and he says, so what? Like, why, why why does that matter? What difference does it make? How would you answer him? Maybe you're here this morning, you're a Christian, and you're not actually sure how you'd answer him. Uh, you believe in Jesus, you believe that he rose from the grave and all, but you're not actually sure how the resurrection affects your life. Or perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian and you're more like the guy on the street. You're always tired of those Christians grabbing you by the scuff of your collar, right? Like, get off me. But maybe you're here and that's, that's you and you're here because it's Easter and it's what we do and we're glad you're here, but if you're honest with yourself, you're thinking about this Easter deal and the resurrection and you're like, so what? Well, what difference does it make that Jesus died and rose from the grave? Listen, the Apostle Paul wants to tell us in this section in Romans chapter 6 that it makes all the difference in the world if you trust in him by faith. And it can make all the difference in the world if you haven't yet. What difference exactly? Well, Romans 6 verse 11 summarizes it really well for us. Let's, let's actually read this out loud together this morning. It says this, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin and alive to God. That's the difference it makes. Now, if you're visiting with us today or newer around here, we've been preaching right through the book of Romans here at Two Pillars, and Paul has been building an argument. He has an extremely logical mind, right? And he began earlier in the book of Romans, he began by explaining to us our universal need. He has said things to us like, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He has said things to us like, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as soon as we start to object, well, well, listen, he says, no, no one is righteous, not a single one. That's the bad news that Paul began with, right? But he doesn't stay there in the book of Romans. He tells us of the good news. He tells us of the gospel. That's what that word means, good news. He tells us of the gospel good news, and he tells us he's not ashamed of it for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, meaning anyone can get in on this. And he tells us how this gospel works. Namely, that while we were still in the state of living out the bad news, while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinning, while we were powerless to get ourselves right with God, he sent his son Jesus to die for us To take our place, to to be our substitute, to take on the wrath that we deserved for our sin. God showed his love for us, Romans 5 verse 8 says, that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. Are you tracking with that? The ungodly? That's who he came for. He didn't die for those who cleaned themselves up a bit and went to church a bunch. He died for those who were utterly unable to clean themselves up at all. And when we believe in Jesus, when we trust in him by faith, Paul tells us we become, listen, justified. It's a really important word. It's a really important truth. Paul's been telling us about it ever since Romans chapter 1. It means that when we become a Christian, we are, we are counted right before God. That's what it means to be justified. We have right standing now with God. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. All right? I think we know what condemnation means. Once we stood condemned before God because of our sin... But now, through Jesus, we stand justified before God, accepted before God, counted as righteous before God. And we're in this section of the book of Romans, especially chapters 5 through 8, where Paul is really, really wanting us to understand the certainty of our justification. Like, he wants us to know, and this is what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. He wants us to know that justification was a, a once and, and forever thing that happened for us. Therefore, since we have been justified, that's how he starts chapter five. Since we have been justified, it's a past tense reality for us. It's once and forever. He, he wants you to know that when you truly become a Christian, it is finished. You belong to Christ now, and you always will. Nothing is going to separate you, he says in Romans chapter 8. You have been reconciled, and you're never going to become unreconciled. You have been adopted, and you're never going to be an orphan again. And you didn't earn your way into this relationship with good behavior. And therefore, as a true Christian, you're not going to earn your way out of it with your bad behavior. It was all accomplished by Jesus on the cross. When he cried out, it is finished, he wasn't exaggerating. For those who truly trust in Christ, it is complete. It was accomplished you have been justified once and forever your salvation is certain your eternity is secure you're a child of God Paul's going to say in this section later right and if a child then an heir there is therefore now no condemnation for you and there's never going to be You are more than a conqueror, he tells us in Romans 8, and you're never going to be less. This is true of you. If you truly belong to Jesus, and it can be true of you if you don't yet, this is the gospel. And we're not ashamed of it around here. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone, anyone, and everyone who believes. And in chapter 5, Paul has, he has put the pedal to the floor on this thing, right? But before we dump the clutch, we need to ask, what about sin? What shall we say then? I mean, isn't teaching like this and stressing the certainty of our salvation, isn't that going to encourage people to sin? Might it give someone a a false sense of belonging to God, a false sense of assurance? Will will they just go on living a life of license? If we can't lose our salvation, should we just continue on sinning so that grace may abound all the more? By no means, Paul says in chapter 6, verse 2. Absolutely not, another translation reads. And then he goes on asking, How can we, who, what's the word? Say it with me. Died to sin, still live in it. Died. It's past tense here in the English, isn't it? Paul doesn't ask, how can we who are dying to sin still live in it? How can we who will one day be dead to sin still live in sin? No, he says, how can we who died, past tense, to sin, still live in it? It's a past tense reality. In the original language, which was Greek, the word dying is in the aorist tense, meaning it is something that has happened once and forever forever. It's a reference to a a definite fact that belongs in the past at a particular point in time. What particular point in time? Well, let's keep reading. Verse three. Do you not know? Don't you know? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. Into death. Now, listen, Paul is not saying that we magically died to sin when we were physically baptized. I say that for two reasons. One, Paul has been hammering the idea that we are saved and we are only saved by grace through faith. We are saved and forgiven. We are justified, all of it, by faith, not by our works, not by baptism. Baptizing someone doesn't perform a a magical function of literally washing away sin. Baptism, rightly understood, is an outward sign of an inner reality. The second reason that I say this is that Paul's point here is not primarily about baptism. He actually doesn't mention baptism in the rest of the letter. No, what Paul is pointing to here is conversion. And you might say, it doesn't say conversion, it says baptism. To which I would agree, for Paul, right, in his time, that he didn't have categories. They wouldn't have had categories for someone who was a born-again believer who wasn't baptized. That would have been a massive anomaly in his day. And it ought to be in ours. When you became a Christian in Paul's day, you were baptized. As an outward proclamation of your faith. Like it's a command by Christ himself. And so for Paul, that the events of regeneration and faith and justification and baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit, it's complex, but they all occur in conversion. Baptism is an outward sign then that all that has occurred, that you have truly become a Christian. It's a proclamation, this is all true of me. And further, baptism, the physical act, it signifies this truth, right? When we go under the water, we come up out of it. It signifies our union with Jesus in his death and, as we're going to see, our union with Jesus in his resurrection. Verse 5 says it this way, that we have been united with him, united. This is the doctrine of our union with Christ, which is a a vast and, and beautiful doctrine, which among other things teaches us that what is true of Christ is true of all those who are united to Christ, those who are in Christ, to use the popular phrase from the New Testament. That's Paul's argument here. That we have been united with Christ in a death like his. We have been. We know that our old self was crucified with him, verse 6. It was crucified. We have died with Christ, verse 8. It's all past tense. It's all aorist tense, meaning it's something that happened once and forever. Or to put it another way, for a Christian, it is finished. Finished. If you're truly a Christian, You are dead to sin. Dead to it. He doesn't say you're going to be. He says you are. You're dead to sin. See, this passage, it's loaded here with what we would call indicative statements. Indicative statements. An indicative is a statement of what is true. We contrast indicatives with imperatives as we read the Bible. An imperative is Is a command. It's something you are to do. The only imperative in this passage is in verse 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Everything else leading up to verse 11 is indicative, meaning it's true of you if you belong to Christ. You are dead to sin. You are. Now, you might be thinking, I don't actually feel dead to sin, (laughs) right? Um, Does that mean I'm not truly a Christian? Well, to answer that, we better understand what it means when the Bible says that we are dead to sin. It cannot mean that we're no longer tempted by sin. It cannot mean that we are no longer allured by sin, that we're somehow now magically immune to sin. It cannot mean even that we no longer sin. If that were the case... Paul wouldn't go on in the passage immediately following ours today with several more imperatives, commands, saying things like, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it. Don't present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't do it. Put to death the deeds of the body. Put them to death. Imperatives, which the old Puritan John Owen summed up memorably saying, be killing sin or it'll be killing you, right? Being dead to sin, therefore, cannot mean that we're never tempted. Paul wouldn't have to tell us these things otherwise. It can't mean that we're somehow immune or that we never sin. In fact, the apostle John in 1 John 1 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't even in us. What then does it mean? It means that the moment you become a Christian, you are no longer under the reign of sin. That you are no longer under the ruling power of sin. And this includes, of course, the guilt of sin and the penalty for sin. Jesus took all that on for us. You have been forgiven. That's not false advertising, right? He paid the price. There is no condemnation. But in the context here, sin is something that is Closely connected, intertwined with death. You see that? Especially in chapter 5. In chapter 5, sin is, is referred to as a, a power that reigns. Just as sin came into the world through one man, Romans 5:12, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. And death reigned, he says, from Adam to Moses. What Paul is telling us here is that although the presence of sin is not gone, the penalty is and the power of sin has been broken. The power has been broken. You're no longer under the reign of it. In fact, you're under a whole new reign now. Colossians 3 says it this way, that he, talking about Jesus, Jesus has delivered us From the domain of darkness, He's transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. It's indicative, isn't it? It's a statement of fact. If you belong to Jesus, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness, from the reign of sin. You've been transferred, transferred into the kingdom of the beloved Son. You have a new citizenship now. Your citizenship is in heaven. When recounting his own conversion and his calling in Acts chapter 26, Paul says that Jesus told him, I'm sending you, Paul, to open their eyes, to tell the gospel and to to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. You're no longer under the power of Satan. You're no longer under the power of sin or death. You're under the power of Christ and righteousness and eternal life. Peter says this way, he says that we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a marvelous light we've been called into. This is all true of you if you're a Christian. Even when it doesn't feel like it's true. Now, when does it feel most untrue? When we sin. And we all still sin. Sometimes in covert ways, like secret sin, nobody knows about because we're sneaky. Or sometimes just in our heart or in our thoughts. It's covert. Other times it's very overt and everybody sees it and we're like, oh gosh, I really wish people didn't see that. We sin in covert and overt ways. We're not free from the presence of sin, but we are free from the power of it, the tyranny of it, the mastery and dominion of sin. Which means, practically, our entire attitude towards sin is different. We acknowledge sin. When the Bible calls something sin, we agree with it, we call it that too. We don't make light of it. We don't excuse it or rationalize it away. We don't do hermeneutical gymnastics to get out from what it's trying to tell us. This is our authority right here. How we feel isn't our authority. What we want to be sin and not sin is not our authority. The word of God is our authority. And so we acknowledge sin. We also hate sin. We hate it. We wage war against our sin. When we sin, we confess it as sin. We ask for forgiveness of our sin from those that we've sinned against and from God himself. We repent of sin, meaning we actually turn from it. We don't live habitually in it. We don't get cozy with our sin. We turn from it. We pursue change, and we never stop, and we never will until Jesus returns or takes us home. Listen, just because we have the indicatives, the truth statements, doesn't mean we get to ignore the imperatives, the commands. The indicatives, we should say, empower the imperatives And it is, in fact, the outworking of the imperatives in our everyday existence which reveal that the indicatives are truly operating. The indicatives remind us of what is true. Living out the imperatives reveal that it really is. But when we sin, and we do, when what is true doesn't feel true as Christians, you tell your feelings who's boss by opening the word of God. You tell your feelings, listen up feelings. I've been delivered from the domain of darkness. I've been transferred in the kingdom of the beloved son. I have been united together with Christ and I am just as dead to the power and reign of sin as he is. <laughs> Let me give you two illustrations of how this works. First, the COVID vaccine, because there's not enough controversy in this sermon yet. Okay? Um, for those that got the COVID vaccine, right? what did it do? Didn't make you immune from the virus, did it? No, in fact, many still got the virus. However, the virus no longer has hold on you. It's power. Its tyranny, its ability to bring about death, was broken. It's the same with our being united with Christ in his death and the presence of indwelling sin. You're not immune to it, but the power's broken. It will no longer lead to death in you. Second illustration, a little bit less controversial. Junior high kids playing basketball, okay? Um, picture a scrimmage, parents are there, it's a scrimmage, and the kids have these reversible jerseys on, you know about the reversible jerseys, they're uh, purple on one side and gold on the other, because we're le- reliving my Geneva um, high school uh, childhood, go Wildcats, right, um, so purple on one side, gold on the other, they're, you're split into two teams, purple team, gold team, uh, assistant coach is coaching the purple team, head coach, he's, he's got the gold team, and you're on the purple team, okay, don't forget that, you're on the purple team, And you're playing, everything's going fine, playing basketball. And at some point, for really important reasons that the coaches have decided, they ask some of the players to flip their jerseys around, okay? And you go from the purple team, now you're on the gold team, right? What does that mean? It means you have a new coach now. There's a a new dynamic You can still hear the old coach shouting, but your job isn't to listen to him. Your job is to listen to the new coach. You're not under the old coach's domain. You're under the new coach's domain. In fact, you're going to have to work really, really hard to remember this. Now, if you've ever watched junior high basketball before, you know it can sometimes happen in a situation like this. So the ball comes in, and you get it. And you turn, and quite frankly, you're a little bit surprised that there's nobody between you and the basketball hoop. Right? And so you start to dribble, and you're kind of questioned, but then you start to smile, because you're like, this can going to be a layup, and I can make layups. Right? So you go all the way in, and you're dribbling, and you're smiling. Now, your, your new coach is hollering at you, but you're not listening to him. Like, you're focused over here. And so you dribble, and you go up, and you make the layup, and then everybody in the whole gymnasium says what? No! You've forgotten who you are, haven't you? You've forgotten what team you're on. And you feel horrible. I mean, you can't believe what you just did. You're... You're so sorry. You want forgiveness. You really, really wish that you could take those points off the board for the other team. And you vow. And I'm never going to do that again. Right? See, you can still feel like momentarily and even act as though you're still on the purple team, even though you're no longer on the purple team. So it is with those who, who through their union with Christ are dead to sin. You're no longer under the power of Satan, but the power of God. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. You've been united with Christ in his death, Paul says. Your old self has been crucified with him. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You have been set free from sin. But sometimes you forget. You forget who you are. And when you do, you're sick about it. You do everything in your power and the power of the Holy Spirit to never do that again. And when you do do it again, you still acknowledge your sin and confess it as sin. You try to repent of your sin over time, scoring fewer and fewer points for the wrong team, if you're tracking with it going at longer intervals between points for the wrong team, catching even by the power of the Spirit when you start dribbling in the wrong direction. To various degrees and measures, this will be an ongoing battle until Christ returns. And yet, you're on the gold team now. You are united to Christ and dead to sin. That's not all, though. Paul goes on. Verse 5 and then verse 8. He says in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has his dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Listen, as Christians, we're not just united with Christ in his death. We are also united with him in his resurrection. Like, Jesus didn't just die for you. He rose for you. And through your union with Christ, what is true of him is true of you in him. The power of the resurrection has penetrated this present evil age. It's here. As one who belongs to Christ, you share in his triumph over death. You share in eternal life. It's already yours, Christian. Death has no power over you because it has no power over him. He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. This is why we can say, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, hey, death, where's your victory? We can mock death because we're united with Christ in his resurrection. And listen, it's not just a future glory that we're talking about, it's present too. Go back to the picture of baptism in verse four. Paul says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk now in newness of life. Like if, if you belong to Christ You are alive to God right now. You are as alive to God as the risen Christ is to God. You've been made alive, the Bible says, in multiple places. You're you're not just the same as you used to be, but forgiven now. No. We're told the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're alive with him. You live with him. He lives with you. Think about it this way. Think think about your worst roommate ever. Spouses are sometimes doing this. No, think about your worst roommate ever. Always there when you want to be alone. Always making a mess. (laughs) Jesus is like the best roommate ever. Always there when you are alone. And always making things better. You live with Him. He lives with you. You've received the Holy Spirit. He's in you. You are in Him. You're united with Him. And He's giving you newness of life. He's convicting you of sin in this newness of life. He's guiding you in his ways in this newness of life. He's he's empowering you to walk in the ways of godliness, manifesting in your life love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He's growing you. He's sanctifying you, making you more and more like him. Growing you, friends, in your awareness of who he is. Growing you in your awareness of who you are. Growing you in your awareness of what it is that he's done and growing you in awareness of your secure salvation. He's washing you with the word. He's doing it right now. And he who began a good work in you? Oh, he's going to see it through to completion. Nothing's going to stop him. Because of the resurrection, you and I, Christians, are on the way to glory, and nothing's going to stop us. That's good news. That's really good news. Listen, to be alive with God also means that we are in the here and now within God's purpose and his plan. For we know, did you know? We know, it says, for we know that all those who love God, so those who belong to Christ in the context here, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Meaning, he's using everything. Everywhere, right now, including your life, including everything about your life, even the parts that you don't like or you'd really, really, really like him to change. He's using it all for your good and his glory. You don't have to lose hope. Lose hope. I mean, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, Paul has said. You're alive to him. His purpose is being carried out right here, right now, in your life, whether you realize it or not. He's bringing it all to pass. He's working it all together, whether you realize it or not. Which brings us full circle then to verse 11. And the only imperative that Paul has for us today. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God In Christ Jesus, consider yourself, he says. It means count yourself, reckon it to be true. This is Paul saying hey, from now on, think of it this way. Don't forget. Remember, preach it to yourself every day. Hold this truth before yourself constantly, moment by moment, no matter what is happening to you. You're dead to sin. And alive to God. It's an imperative, Christian. It's a command. Do it. Do it. This isn't the power of positive thinking. It's the power of historical thinking. And faith. It's not some version of religious expressive individualism where we identify as those who are united with Christ? No, we really are. And if you're not yet, you really can be. Because the real God, second member of the Trinity, took on real flesh. We're talking about the real Jesus here today, I hope you know. Not, not Jesus Jr., not some Jesus that you've invented in your own head. We're talking about the real Jesus of the scriptures. And the real Jesus came and he lived a real life. That is historically verifiable. He died a real death. One that is historically verifiable. Verifiable. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He was resurrected. He appeared to the disciples, and then he appeared to something like 500 of the brothers all at once. It was all historically verifiable. He ascended into heaven. People watched him go. And he will come again. And all will see. And when you believe in him by faith, It makes all the difference in the world. You are dead to sin and alive to God, not just in this life, but forevermore. World without end. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for these glorious truths that quite honestly are difficult for us to grasp. And so give us ears and hearts to believe. For Christians who are in the room, Lord, would by your spirit, would you help them today to consider themselves dead to sin and alive to you in Christ Jesus? Would they do it? For any here who are not Christians yet, Or maybe it's being revealed that they're not Christians yet because of their lackadaisical, ignorant attitude towards sin. Just resting in it, making peace with it. Father, would you move in them in such a way that they would consider what it would be like to consider themselves dead to sin and alive to you. We ask that you do that right here, right now. That by your Holy Spirit, you would regenerate their hearts creating faith within them they can't do it on their own and we know Lord that you can you can save to the uttermost and so do that today for your glory we pray in the risen name of Jesus Amen Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.